Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Today's show is about Eureka Moments. And the story begins with a naked Greek mathematician running down the street shouting, Eureka! Archimedes of Syracuse was a early Greek mathematician, physicist, inventor, and astronomer. The story goes that King Hirio II was skeptical about a new laurel leaf-shaped crown he was given. The king wanted to know whether the crown was solid gold or if some other metal had been added. He wanted to know if he was cheated by the crown maker. So he called in Archimedes to figure it all out. But there was one catch. Archimedes could not destroy the crown. So Archimedes, thinking about this and trying to find a relaxing place to contemplate the problem, drew a bath and suddenly it all became clear to him. He could determine the density of the crown by noting how much water it displaced. If any other material had been added to the crown, it would be less dense than if it were made entirely of gold. Archimedes was so excited that he ran naked through the streets, shouting, Eureka! I have found it. We all love these Eureka moments, these I get it or aha moments, when we no longer just obediently nod our heads in blind, obedience to the teacher, but when we actually get it. Today's guest, Janice Fletcher, is an expert on these aha moments. She's the author of the new book, Wisdom from the Inner Teacher, turning ahas into owl moments, and the owl being an acronym standing for Optimal Wisdom Learning, which we're going to know all about when we're done with this show. Welcome to the show, Janice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great. It's great having you. And I, I wanted to do this show because, as I said, we're all interested in these aha moments. It's a lot. It's like we all want more inspiration. And, and it's, it's sort of a mystery in, in how to make these moments appear more frequently. So first of all, what is an aha moment? It is the moment of insight, the moment where wisdom comes through and frustration and anxiety and confusion dissipate and truth or wisdom comes in. It's an epiphany. So, so what, what got you interested in these aha moments? I know you have a long history as a teacher, but what, what got you focused on this, this slice of time, this experience that we call the aha moment? Um, look, my experience with the six-step process that has come forth can be looked at from a number of different perspectives. It can be looked at biologically, neuroscientifically, psychologically, or spiritually. And I have an educational background and a spiritual background. And so the two intertwined, and 
uh, as an educator is interested in the moment of learning now, because to me that is the only purpose of education is to have the students get these moments more and more and more. And from a spiritual point of view, it is the access to wisdom. So the two intertwined in my life came together, and after a long time of living, here it is, the message of the aha moment. Well, one of, one of the contrasts that we all experience in education is this distinction between rote learning or memorization and actually understanding something, underst- internalizing the, the thought or the idea. And it seems to me that what you're saying by your emphasis on the inner teacher is that real wisdom comes from inside. Is that right? Yes, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, big difference, and most of the schools are, are interested in teaching knowledge with trying to get to the wisdom part, but there's so many test scores waiting that they never get to those higher-level thinking skills. But yes, um, wisdom does come from the right side of the brain. It is in, intuitive, it is insightful, it is truth. And when, no matter what learning we're doing, whether it's two plus two, poof, when it happens, that is an aha moment, and that is the, the cognition and intuition working together. So it can be very small, it can be very big. Well, what is it from your background that led you to conclude that the wisdom is an internal phenomena, that it, that it comes from the inside? You, you mentioned your background in in philosophy or spirituality, what what was the connection that you've made in your educational career? Um, in my educational career, well, um, well, 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 how how is it that you have managed to integrate this your spiritual background or your philosophy background with education? Was there something that gave you your own aha moment that this was the way to go? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I had an owl moment <laughs> about it. Um, I had written the book, and it was called For the Love of Teaching, Keeping Your Passion Alive, and it was uh, it was basically those chapters, although I added uh, the front chapter and the back chapter and so on. And after I had written it, I'd gone over to India where I have a spiritual teacher, and I was sitting in the ashram for three weeks, and that somebody very intuitively came to me and talked to me about the book and told me that um, it wasn't a big enough audience, that teachers were not just the audience, that this had a, a message for everyone. And I was very dismayed because I had just finished writing the book. So I came back, though, and listened to the guidance, and as as soon as I started working on it, it all just started falling together, and the six-step process presented itself to me. And so then I integrated that into each chapter as you read, so that it's a reinforcement, because I'm a teacher, so I want to, by trait, you know, I was a principal and superintendent and all that, or assistant too, but I want people to learn it. So I wrote it in such a way so that it is repetitive. Um, And anyway, I had an owl moment about it, and then it all... It, it was much easier to rewrite than the first time around because I was writing then for truth. So, as as I said, one of one of the challenges we all face, and I think at some point in time we all could identify with what it means to have an aha moment. Sometimes they are simple things like, you know, how to drive a stick shift car, to flashes of inspiration like Archimedes had or like an Einstein would have. You know, we have the full range of these things. But but you yourself have developed a system that uh, increases, the. I guess the point of it is, is to increase the chances you're going to have an aha moment. And, you, and you've been referring to these six steps. So let's talk about the six steps for a moment. Why don't you go through those 
and and try to help the listener maybe understand how uh, he or she can incorporate these six steps into increasing their aha moments? Certainly. Um, the first thing you do with uh, the practice of, of introducing the six steps is to become aware of when they happen. So the first thing that you do is you notice when you have one of these moments or a moment of recognition or a moment of intuition and so on, and then you do an autopsy backwards, and you'll see that, that the six steps are always there. Um, so once we bring our awareness to it, then in fact we can, that's how we help increasing it. The first step is that we have some desire. There's something we want to know. There's an answer we want to have answered. There's a problem that needs solving. That The teacher calls that motivation. Whatever it is, there's a desire. And then we have that desire and we think and we think and we try and figure it out and we calculate and we work and we research. And somehow or another we don't come up with the answer. It just isn't there. And then there is a moment when we go, I give up. I just give up. I don't know what it is. And that is the moment of surrender, which is the second step. And the second step is the moment that then leads to the third step, which is that our mind becomes still. And biologically and neuroscientifically, that actually literally happens. The left mind, the left brain shuts down, and that's the linear logical thinking mind. And then the right brain is open and aware and ready to receive the wisdom that then comes in, which is truth or wisdom. Okay, so, so okay. that... Okay, mm-hmm. okay so, so, let, so let's get this... Uh, let's get this straight uh, first, and that mm-hmm. is what what I think is interesting here is that you're sort of reverse engineering mm-hmm. uh, yes. the the conditions which you've seen and, and others in the field have seen sort of uh, uh, relate to or 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 lay the foundation for an aha moment. And I think it's it's very important that the, this desire begins it like the desire to know something you have to have Mm -hmm. like a striving right it's not it's sort of like you have to contemplate the idea like Archimedes is sitting in his bathtub trying to figure out how to see if the crown is is partly fake metal or all gold and so he desired it and then I think what you said is extremely important because there is a frustration part of this there mm-hmm. is, there, you know, people, people, people it, and this is, this goes into the linear part of the left mind, uh, left brain, right brain. By the way, full disclosure, I, I usually forget which brain is the, is the good part. I think the left brain is the linear, logical, and the right brain is the, is the in, intuitive. Is that correct? Well, first I would challenge that there's no good or bad, but good. yes, the, the, the mere fact that you <laughs> okay. forgot it means that you're probably right brain, okay. um, and the right brain is the more holistic thinking, creative, okay. and pictures, and the left brain is linear, logical, sequential. Okay, and it's, it's, it happens so frequently where there's a problem at hand, and, and you just desire the answer, but it doesn't come. It's like, it's not like instant gratification. And but but this is this is the surrender, right? This this is where right. you just like give up and you surrender. But that but and then there is the just be calm and and how how does one what what kind of tips would you give somebody into this calming, this still the mind? Is there some kind of practice or method that someone could follow to reach that stillness stage? Well, absolutely. First of all, this can again be looked at spiritually, and if you look at it spiritually, the act of surrender is then that. You know, you are surrendering to a higher knowing, a higher, or, or you could be surrendering that somebody from, you know, the Internet is going to answer your question, or there's going to be somebody else. You're surrendering to something else. And then 
we automatically do this if we while we're living life everybody out there in the world that's listening has aha moments and they're going through these steps what i am suggesting is to look at them and then pause and then embellish them so then you build the bridge between the left and the right brain so that you have a super highway rather than a rickety old road and how do you still the mind well when when your aha moments come in that's when you pause and you say where was i and you will be in an alpha state Alpha state is a somewhat dreamy state. Your left mind, your linear is not engaged, which means you're walking the dog, you're taking a shower, you're doing something relaxing, you're doing something where you're not working, you're not trying to figure things out. Whatever that is for you, everybody's got a different way of doing that, that's when it comes in. Like the epilogue of my book that was written purely um, I woke up in the middle of the night, poof, tried not to go back, I tried to go back to sleep, got up, wrote it, never even stopped writing until it was done. My husband, who is a writer, looked at it the next day. He always looks at my work. He always edits it very carefully. He looked at it and said, not a word needs to be changed. Because it was pure. It was coming directly because I was, didn't have my mind in the way at all. So for me, it's when I'm in that dreamy state before I go to sleep sometimes in the middle of the night and so on. So how do we increase that? We know the conditions that we need as a person. I need to walk my dog. I need to take a bath. I need to take a shower, whatever it is I need to do. And then you can't force it. But setting the conditions in place allow it more readily to happen. Yeah, it's 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 sort of like, and what I think is is really sort of important here and telling is that there's so much in common with with the meditative state here, or or mm-hmm. with with the with the. Uh, the inward journey to a consciousness it's sort of like yeah. letting 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 the the source speak to you i mean we could put it in all sorts of, of terminology mm-hmm. here exactly it. Mm-hmm. but, but, yeah. but it's mean, sort of einstein like, refers to the left brain as a faithful servant right. and the right brain as a sacred gift yeah so when einstein says it's a faithful servant we shut that down because that's just a computer on our left side the right side is where god resides and where he's speaking to us so we just need to allow the right side to be heard. Yeah, it's it's sort of like another way to put it is is to get your little ego out of the way, and I and, would challenge and, little, but right, okay, right, and let and let and let the the big mind uh, speak to you. I mean that that's yeah. that's one way that's one way I would phrase it, and I and I think it's really sort of important that in the context of education of these aha moments. The sort of the same same thing is happening. Okay, so we've done three steps. Now we're on to the fourth step. Let's talk about the fourth step. Well, the fourth step is to listen. Uh, and how many times have each of us gotten truth, had an aha moment, and never paid attention to it? And the way we know that we had it and we didn't is because those are the times that we say, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew it. I heard it. I felt it. I just knew it in my gut that I shouldn't do that. And that's when we didn't listen. So if we can grasp that this truth, wisdom, is a sacred gift that's coming in, and if you don't like sacred, then whatever, it's just truth, it's right, it's, it's absolute, um, then we can listen to it, because that's the most important part, of the, otherwise we miss the whole thing. Right, right. So that's the, ne- right. that's the next step. Right, right. And I think that once again, okay, once again, this is Philip Mirton, this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Janice Fletcher about her book, Wisdom from the Inner Teacher, and we're learning how to turn ahas into owl moments. And we're on the fourth, the fifth step now of the six-step process to increasing the owl or optimal wisdom learning 
stage. So let's 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 go what's next. And and I and again I want to emphasize what you just said. You've got to listen, because because sometimes we simply do not hear the message that our inner teacher, as you put it, or inner being is telling us. And 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 so now, but but you go beyond that in in your fifth and sixth step, which sounds a little bit like the scientific method to me. But go ahead now, with the with the fifth. And yes. Sixth well, step. once we have the desire, and then we get frustrated, and we surrender, and then we um, still the mind, and then we actually listen to the truth that's there. Again, we can hear the answer, but we have to act on it. So if we don't act on it, then again we haven't. It's all for naught. And I always tell the story about the. I ended up having the school painted Pepto-Bismol pink <laughs> when I was a principal because I didn't listen to my inner teacher when I was interrupted and so on, and I knew it was wrong, and I just was so ego-centered. I said, no, 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 and then it ended up, it was horrible. I didn't listen to it. So it can be really, really bad. It can be really big, but it's always, we always know when we don't listen. We always, it's always like there's I told you so in there, not in an arrogant way, but there's just like, um, you know, I was given the information and I just didn't pay attention to it. So acting on it is the finale almost of, of, of getting the truth. So once you act on it, then you can go ahead and test whether or not that's correct. And there's um, a very unique thing about aha moments, and that is when the information that you get, the answer, the solution, whatever it is that you were seeking, when it comes in, you know it's truth. Right. You never doubt it. You never say, you know, oh, I should buy the blue dress. Yes, it's the blue dress. Right. And then you never, ever doubt it again. And the reason that we are so confident in that information is because it is truth. Our body, our being, our spirit is aligned with it. It has come in as truth, and, there, and you never have to question it. So you can test it and see, and see whether or not the answer is correct. And I will always tell you, it will be correct. It may not look like it's the right answer, but it is, and it may take time for it to unfold to show you how that was, in fact, the correct answer. But you can test it. Most importantly, you can go back and autopsy yourself and, and look at these aha moments and figure out, know thyself. As Socrates said, know thyself right. and learn how you get the aha moments and then you can help recreate them. And, I, and you said something there that I was going to add because sometimes the message or the truth of the message takes a while to unfold. I mean, we, 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 we live in, as I mentioned, an instant gratification society as accelerated by modern technology. We want everything instantaneous. Sometimes the truth of the message isn't instantaneous. And, but, but then again, scientific experiments don't happen overnight either. And, and when, when you put into your six uh, steps this concept of testing the guidance, I think that, that that is really good because you're not just saying uh, you've had these experiences yourself, listen listen to Janice Fletcher and, and everything will be fine. You're, you're telling the reader, the listener, your students to test this inner guidance system themselves because, uh, as, as I would say, boy, you're going to have a lot more buy-in if you, if your own experience shows that message to be true well it's always it, whether it's education or spirit it it has to be about the experience it doesn't have anything to do with an outside person even if you have like i do a teacher a spiritual teacher 
it's still my experience that has to take place spiritually and I would say also educationally. So the teacher in a classroom can teach and teach and teach and there can be perceived understanding. But I have a great story about that, how we're, how we're fooled by that. Um, but it, it's also, yes, it has to be your own experience. And that's what it's all about. There's, it, the book is irrelevant. The, the, everything in the world, there are, there are no new concepts. You know, it's all been written. It's all been said. It's just opening up to it and allowing that truth to come through. And the more, the more you do it, the more it happens. It's just like a muscle, but you're, it, we're just um, creating the awareness of it so then more truth can come in. And then, therefore, your life is lived by this truth coming in rather than your mental uh, world trying to calculate it. Are you familiar with kinesiology? Uh, no, but go ahead and explain it. Well, kinesiology, and I'm not an expert in that, but it is the um, uh, ability to ask your body yes and no questions. And you can Google it. It's been around for decades and decades and decades. Chiropractors often use it a lot, healers and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is that you um, ask your body, you know, you know, but through a muscle test. So you may have your arm out to the side and hold it and then ask the question, yes or no, and, and the, uh, the muscle will fall and the arm will not hold, or the finger or whatever it is you're doing on the muscle test, and, you can, and your body will tell you yes or no, should I eat this, should I not, is it as good as the, you know, a yes or no answer. So the very easiest, quickest way to prove, <laughs> if you will, that our body has an inner, the inner truth within us. And it knows what it needs, and it knows what it wants, and it, and it, and it is good for us or bad for us. So and it, it's really proven quite readily that the answers are within us. I'm just coming at it from the education point of view, because that's, to me, where God put me. He put me in this arena with these credentials, with this voice, to go forth and speak to this. So, oh, good. So what, what is, what is, in it, uh, what is your commentary or your your views on on our current educa our current educational system with uh do you think that we're giving students enough opportunity to have these aha moments that's a big question but in a simple answer no um and every educator out there will tell you that they don't have the time to be able to get to the higher level thinking skills the critical thinking skills the problem solving skills we're taught in Education 101, Bloom's Taxonomy, that we know that we want to be at the higher, highest levels of thinking, and that's where it happens. However, in today's world of trying to prove that students are, in fact, learning, the tests that we are now um, mandated to give and that we are judging every teacher and possibly paying them by um, forces them to stick into the rote level learning or maybe understanding level, possibly comprehension. So they would argue that there's no way, no time to do it. I'm here to challenge that and say I have a very simple way to um, shift that whole thinking that with, no matter what the circumstances in the classroom, that you can, in fact, do what I'm suggesting. <laughs> well, well, I think, I think that what, what is so true on this point is that once you internalize one of these lessons, and I'm using the word internalize, to, to mean that you've had what you would call an aha or an I get it moment, that lesson never leaves you, in my opinion. It never leaves you. It's like riding a bicycle. And, mm -hmm. and the problem that we have in education, this is, this is not a, a current modern problem. It perhaps has gotten worse. But there's always been a problem with, as I said earlier, this dichotomy between rote memorization and understanding. And I think that to the extent that we, we train students to listen to that inner teacher, not only is education more fun, but the lessons that they learn 
will be with them for their entire lives. Now that that's my that's my opinion on the whole thing, and and, and I hope and I assume that that you're near that point in in your experience as a teacher. Uh, well, of course, yes. I, I must tell the story of the GPS because here I am, a doctor of education. I have been training and, you know, four degrees. I'm as expert as you can be in learning styles, multiple intelligences. I've trained it. I've taught it. I've had all the tests given to me. Everybody's given me the information on me that I'm a visual learner. I've known that for years. I traveled my life throughout my whole life. I never got the navigational chip in my brain that was given to other people. So I've been driving around in circles lost forever. And then at my 50th birthday, I got a GPS. And when the GPS was installed, it was like that was the biggest owl moment of my time because it was everything fit together. I saw where the world, and all of a sudden I could see and I could go and I didn't have to be lost anymore. And at that point, I knew that I had to have it visually. Now, my point is this. Here I am, as expert as I can be. I am the teacher of the, of the information about left-right brain and learning styles. I mean, I know that I'm a visual learner, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it until I got that GPS, until yeah. that moment, that's when it kicked in at age 50. So my challenge to teachers is that not only, teachers have a tendency to be the, the bearers of all knowledge and the containers of all knowledge and instead of being the facilitator and so on. So as they facilitate the student's learning circumstances, once they come upon an aha moment, once the circumstances, conditions are identified for that particular student, imagine if somebody, when I was in second grade or fifth grade or twelfth grade or college, really made me understand that I was a visual learner. My life would have changed. So that is my hope for every student, is that the teacher will really, really get to the point where the child really knows, no, I have to see it visually. And they will walk into the third grade saying, no, my second, teacher, second grade teacher explained to me, I have to see it visually. Poof. Their life has changed. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 good. Well, you know, the other thing is is you know the other message that comes across there, or the other lesson that comes across, is that education is a lifelong process. I mean, even somebody like you and like me who uh, have 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 been around. I mean, every day there's something else to learn, and I think that to the extent we can maximize these owl moments, we're going to do ourselves a lot of good. Now. Why don't you try to distinguish here, and you know, some people may be wondering what's the difference between an, an aha moment or an I get it moment and an owl moment? Well, we all have aha moments. Everybody out there listening has, has had aha moments. Oh, every time we say, that's what it is, or now I get it, or we've all had those. Right. Everybody that has listened thus far will now have owl moments because, as you said, that's all it takes. All it takes is the awareness to integrate these. This, it's like now if, if I talked about buying a red car, everybody would see the red cars. Okay, so now everybody that's listening will go forth uh, with going into owl moments rather than aha moments because the distinction is that it's optimal wisdom learning. As you said, we are lifelong learners. So as a, how are we going to learn? We want to learn optimally, which means that when somebody comes to me now and presents to me a list of directions or of how to do something, I say, no, I need a map. I can't do it by directions, words. So we just save all that time, save all that frustration. And so somebody else needs it a different way. You know, you're going to have to point it out to me. You're going to have to walk me through it or whatever if they have to do it through their, through their feeling mode. So the point is that the difference is that you're aware of it and that you're actually consciously 
I would always appreciate say that we have a sense of appreciation for the truth when it comes in because that allows for more. And then you're open and ready for more and more of them. So the distinction between aha and owl is the awareness of the aha moment, how it happens and how you can recreate it. In your experience, what's the most difficult step in the six steps for a student to incorporate into their lives? Which, which one do you think is the most difficult? Well, it depends on the student. It depends on the, on the situation and what it is they're seeking. Um, if, if the motivation, if the desire is really great, then, then you'll get there one way or another. So, you know, and it, it's not going to happen if you don't have the motivation or the desire or the, or the yearning for it. You know, some look at it spiritually. It's a yearning for God. You're going to shut down. You're going to go meditate, and you're going to find spirit, or you're going to come and get the answer, whatever, however way you want to look at it. So, and I, I always want to stress how individual we are. You know, that's why I look at it from so many different ways. You know, it, it's educational, it's biological, it's neuroscientifically, and it's spiritual. Just like the student in the classroom, we have eight different multiple intelligences or more. You know, some need it musically, some need it spatially, some need it visually, and so on. So as we move to these steps, it's very, it's, um, it's, it varies. But I would stress that, it, that students can be victimized in a classroom. They're, they are not empowered okay, unless we empower them. So the teacher is in charge of the conditions that happen in the classroom. Okay, the teacher can be given all the different rules, regulations, standards, this, that, common core, whatever it is that they have, they are bound that they must do, but they still set the conditions. So setting up the conditions for either everybody does the same thing at the same time and does it the same way, or we look at it individually and differently to um, accentuate that Philip needs it this way and Janice needs it that way, that's then the student, you can't really say, is it the student's fault that they're not getting through the steps, or is it the teacher's fault because they haven't set up the conditions? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's good. Well, my own, my own method, and this, this is not by any means original, in fact, everybody knows it, is, is this whole concept of sleeping on it is very similar to what you're saying. I, I, I think that, I mean, the, the, the moment of sleep, either waking up or going to sleep, is this moment of stillness in, in my mind. You, you have this desire, uh, like to figure something out, and you can't just get it. You're frustrated. I, I find that, that, that sleeping on these questions, on these mysteries, helps somehow unlock, unlocks the mystery. And in many instances, I wish it happened more frequently when I would, when, if I would wake up with the sudden flash of, of inspiration but but I I think that that's one easy way to do it but I really like the the way you've re, you you've reverse engineered this and come up with six simple steps now you you probably have mentioned a couple of your own aha moments or owl moments why don't why don't you tell us about one that maybe uh, was was particularly significant to you well, I, in the, I think it's on almost the first page of my book, I talk about when I went to India, and I was there going for my spiritual journey, and somebody walked up to me and said, well, you're here to find out if you're going to marry your boyfriend. And I looked at them, and I said, no, I'm not, not there. No, I'm just here because, you know, that, that has nothing to do with it. And through the course of three days, poof, boom, it came in. This is the man I need to marry. This is absolutely the man I need to marry. Forget whatever hesitation I had, whatever it is, this is it. So I guess that's really important because it, obviously gave me my wonderful husband and my wonderful marriage and so on and so forth. But, you know, they go on throughout life all the time. And, you know, you had mentioned that you wish that you had more. 
And that's the, what you're yearning for, what we are all yearning for with that is access to spirit, access to wisdom and truth coming in. And the wish will be fulfilled because there it is. It's a wish going out for that. And the way that we physically in this world go through and make that happen is by putting through the effort to be open to it. And as I said, you can never force an aha moment, uh, but but you can know how it happens. So for instance, my... It's a bit of a story. If you want me to stop, I will. But my my um, best friend is dying, and her husband, she has brain cancer, so she couldn't think for herself. And so her husband was faced with the question, should she have chemo or radiation? And he sat there with the doctor, very important question, or none at all. And he, he looked at him and he said, I will get back to you in three days. Hmm. Like you, he knew how long he needed. Because we know, you know, like somebody will get frustrated and they'll say, I need to go for a walk. You know, I need, I'll, I, I have to go take a vacation. I have to go dance. I have to go do whatever I have to do, release the stress, get away from it, go play ping pong like the, the Google guys do, you know, that, that's, they've created a, a complete environment of play for these scientists to, you know, to come up with all what, that we're living by. It's not by, you know, rote memory trying to figure it out. They go play together. And that's where the creativeness, the creative comes in. Anyway, so the wish can be fulfilled by the practice of allowing it to happen, by just saying, okay, the full knowledge, the wisdom is there, it will come in, and it's not up to us to determine. It may take two nights of sleep, it may take a month of sleep, but just knowing when it's time, in perfect timing, it will, the answer will come to me as I need it. And, and this is Philip Mirton. this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Janice Fletcher about wisdom from the inner teacher. And I'd like to pivot a little bit to connecting this, the aha moments, with the, with the I, I would say, the increased emphasis in our modern culture on mind, body, and spirit. Now, do you, have you found over time, Janice, that, that the acceptance of your methods is is increasing in light of what I would call, as I said, an increasing interest in, in new age, new spirituality, mind-body connections and all that. Are, are you seeing any differences out there? Oh, very much so. I mean, I started my spiritual path when I was 16, and I'm about to be 60. <laughs> so there's been a long history of, of living in spirit. And I had a very uh, separate world where my spirit world was one and my education world was another. So much so that when I began my second school of being principalship and I was opening up a new school, I got to hire the whole staff and so on. We stayed there for seven years together and created a, a beautiful, wonderful environment and place and so on. And um, at the end of it, I was leaving to go off to the Caribbean and live, and I thought, I'm going to have a party, you know, to say goodbye to everybody and thank you and so on. And in my own mind, I was thinking, I'm going to have a coming out party about who I am spiritually. This is where I'm going to tell them who I really am because I have not told them really what my agenda is because when I was giving them choice and we were thinking about basing it on love and doing all the things, I had a whole spirit-filled secret that I was working with. And so I had this party and I just, you know, had this big moment, as somebody were, and I was telling them, you know, who I really am is I have this guru in India and I believe in meditation and I believe in reincarnation and I believe in all these things and that's why I'm a vegetarian and so on and so on. They just looked at me and they said, well, we've known that all along. That's why we came to you. We yeah. hired on to you because you were the new age principal. Yeah. I went, and I just went, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it was just, it's shocking to me. But yes, there is a much greater acceptance of it. And 
And um, so it's easier. And so for me, I actually had to step outside of public school, write my own book. And even within my book, with all the different editing, I was I was advised to take God out, take God out, take God out. And I did m- most of the time. I did leave it in there just for a moment, and you can read between the lines and feel <laughs> feel my connection to God through it. But it is opening up. Well, so, well, I yeah. think I mean people don't realize, and I I. I say this a lot in, in, the, in, the, in the talks that I give, which is that there there is really only one world, and and people look at it in different ways. And to sort of uh, put package spirituality and put it off on the shelf somewhere, and then go about and do your normal daily work, is is a little odd uh, because we may be put packaging the most powerful part of ourselves and the world and experience on the shelf and to the extent we start integrating these concepts into what we do and realizing that this is part of the power that drives the world forward I mean it's only going to be better and I think that that's that is one of the sort of what I would call it the the silent revolutions that's occurring in our world right now is that we're having more of these of, of the spiritual concepts being integrated into daily life. And, and you've done something here on a very practical level, which is, which is improving the aha moments, improving those I get it moments, which everybody has to deal with. Everybody needs to deal with that for true learning to occur. And you're, but, you're, but you're drawing in the, the spiritual tradition and I don't and, and that's what that's what's appealing to me is that you're not sort of putting it off to the side it's being integrated in a very practical way so I yeah, th- yeah I've always been considered the practical the practical principle or whatever I consider myself a philosopher but when it comes to education or or even philosophy I've always been considered very practical that's why I got an EDD rather than a PhD because I'm, I'm just really practical in that and that and that's and I really and very much in the world. God has put me on this earth in this point in time with these credentials, so that when and I've always thought the whole reason was because then people will have respect for what I have to say. It's not that I'm saying anything new. I'm not, or anything different. I'm not. But because everybody sort of knows who a principal is and you usually respect what they have to say, it's like then my message can get across. And people cannot be fully empowered unless their mind, body, and spirit is is aligned. So. Uh, the whole time until I had my coming out party, if you will, or if I'm not in a situation where I can truly be myself, I'm not fully empowered. So I, I need to, you know, everybody, one of us, needs to claim who they are, know who they are, and claim who they are, and walk in that very confidently, and the magic will happen. You know, it, it's you, that, that's when we are the most empowered. Everything else is, 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 a, uh, is a division, and anything that has a division is less than. In terms of creating these owl moments at will which sounds pretty cool have have you been able in your first of all speaking for yourself have you been able to increase the frequency of your aha moments through all your training and and work in this area is 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 it working for you yes uh and i we can't create them at will because it's not ours to create um but it is uh the more the more you are aware of them and the more you expect them. For instance, um, you know, you're facing a decision. You know, I just don't know. Should we 
buy this car or that car, which is the best investment, I don't know, and you look at it and you think, so now I don't get frustrated by it as much, I will say. I'll give myself the qualification of as, as much, but I will know that I have to go through the, the process, And but the more relaxed way to handle it, it, you can't not do your work. You have to put your effort in. You have to do your due diligence. You have to look at both cars and figure out what's the best price and shop it the best way you can. And then if you're still faced with, you know, which person to hire or w- which car to buy or whatever, then... You don't, you don't even have to go with the intention of now I know it's time for me to go to sleep and then I'll wake up with the answer because that's an expectancy. And everything about this is a very humble experience, which means you can't expect or demand. Um, but the more you can say, I know that when it is time for me to hear whatever car I should buy, that I will get the answer. And we also have to be open to the fact that the answer, even though we normally get it when we're sleeping, in that alpha state, it may come a different way. For instance... I had a friend that was trying to decide if she was going to retire. And she had this big question, should I retire? She was 52 years old. Should I retire? Should I not? Should I go back and forth? She actually went to her spiritual teacher and made an, an appointment for an interview, and which was a big deal to have happen or whatever. And she was heading off to her interview to ask this question of whether or not she should retire. She passed by a guy that was reading a newspaper, and the headline was it something about somebody retiring at age 52. Mm-hmm. And so she just gave up the interview and said, okay, got the answer. So we have to be open yeah. to, you know, it be, the answer coming to us in various ways. And the more open we are to the answer coming to us, to the child in front of us, to the person that honks at us, whatever it is, to the song on the radio, the magic is everywhere. And the more open we are to it, the greater spirit can have, and playfully so, come into us and allow us to feel an answer and so on. And the more fun it becomes. Well, yeah, it, you you did something there that I I was going to say that I I saw some similarities between your emphasis on listening to the inner teacher and listening to the self with with synchronicity, and mm-hmm. those who recall that that famous book, the Celestine Prophecy, back in the day when when there weren't as many books like that out there, New Age, New Consciousness books. One of the things in that book I think that made it so popular was where the author said something like, once you're in tune with the universe, uh, you'll start noticing more synchronistical events. In other words, more coincidences, more lessons in the world. And there was a certain amount, you know, that book has a certain amount of of, of sort of new ageness to it, it's clearly not accepted by the scientific community uh, at the time or now. But but what but what you're saying, I think, is is very very important, and that is the the lessons coming from the inner teacher are not just sort of flashes of inspiration that come to your mind, but it can very well be your own experience out in the world. The signs on the road, the newspaper, the song on the radio. It's amazing where the mm-hmm. message might come from. And, and, I, and, and I don't know to what degree you have, have you ever uh, sort of associated with what you're doing with, with, with synchronicity, the Carl Jung coincidences and all that? Oh, yeah, of course. That's, yeah. that's, um, see, I'm also a yoga teacher. Okay. And so within the whole yoga teacher kind of teaching part of me, it is the whole alignment of my body and spirit. So as we align our mind, body, and spirit, meaning that I know who I am, I know where I'm going, I know what I want, I can be bold about what I want, not aggressively so, but be very bold and confident with what I'm doing, and then aligning our thought, word, and action with that so that, you know, you can't, you can't be 
disassociated. You can't be saying you want something else and thinking something else. You have to be you have to be thinking what you're saying, and it all has to be morally correct and moving forward and so on. And as you move through that, and then in the same way, while you're boldly going through that way, you're also very humble. You're, you're doing it as a very a very humble servant, if you will, to the Lord that's saying, well, whatever it is, here I am, and this is what I'm doing, and this is where I'm going, and you're leaving, and I'm, and I'm humbly, uh, you know, accepting and, and receiving. And then more, and the more you seek, the more you get. It'll come back tenfold to you. So, yes, everything, uh, the synchronicities and the magic then continually happen all the time. And they, they are there. In fact, you know, people that take whatever kind of hallucinogens or drugs or whatever they are, you know, temporarily get you there. You know, like you can go into an altered state of consciousness through a drug and you can then at that point, oh, everything is love, everything right. is I see, the tree is love, and everything is love. Well, that really is <laughs> where we're trying to get to. Right. However, you can't get there through drugs. You can only, like, flash into it and then it deters you because you've screwed up your whole entire being with it. But, I mean, that's where we're going is to get to that consciousness to recognize that everything is love, to see that the person that's screaming at me has their purpose. You know that everything has its purpose, and that we're we're in line with what what is unfolding as it should, as it says in Desiderata. The universe is unfolding as it should. Oh God, we're starting to, we're starting to hear some more of your your spirituality come through, and this I think this is I think this is really I think this is really good, and this is what I was hoping would happen because because now we're sort of connecting the educational pro, uh, program challenge with with the world at large and understanding that as we tap this inner teacher we're also sort of tapping the source tapping uh the you know the source of being and I, and it's hard for me to use a phrase that doesn't sound real new agey but mm -hmm. but the point the point here is that this is very consistent with eastern philosophy and and many of the new spirituality concepts where the goal is to get in touch with the source uh brahman the being and listen to it and i think that janice you you know you've done something here that as, as i said earlier is very practical but at the end of the day we have a lot of people who want to see the proof and i i think that's good we have the scientific bent in the in our western minds that we want to we want to have someone show us the proof and and the six steps that you're giving here which begin with this desire and with the test i think i think is 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 really good now uh this is philip Mirton. this is conversations beyond science and religion we're talking with janice fletcher about the uh her book wisdom from the inner teacher and just just one one last thing here uh, where where do you see uh, the educational system going? And it's it's another big question. But but do you do you see any hope for incorporating some of your concepts into into education? And, and they may not even be your concepts, uh, but but you know the old these old age concepts. What do, what do you think the future of education is going to be? Well, we must always live on hope. Right. And right. changing the educational system is like moving the biggest tanker truck or tanker ship in the ocean. It takes a very long time. It's very complex and so on. And I've always been of the mind that I am not a um, real hard worker. I didn't stay at school till midnight every night as a principal. And I work smart. 
and teachers are the same way. They have to work smart, and they have more on them now than that they ever did. So they can't deal with having another course to take, another certificate to get, another book to read. So I'm not saying that that's what we need. All I'm saying is a difference in perspective. It is as simple as everybody that has been listening to understand the six-step process. The teacher, the teacher must first understand it within themselves. They must spend time with themselves to know themselves and know when they get their aha moments and how they happen and how their multiple intelligences and conditions fit into that so that they can know their conditions. Because the more they know it, then the better teacher they will be for it. But all I'm doing is asking teachers to set up a different perspective to raise up the level while the classroom is going on with all of the different um, strategies and lesson plans and tools and curriculums and everything that we've put in place because we're so sophisticated right now, very, very sophisticated, to just raise it up and wait for those when we say those, I got it, I got it, oh, yes, okay, now I get it, or whenever it is that the, te- that the students are getting it. That's the moment that we ignore. That's the moment that we need to treasure. That's the moment that would that that's the key to the kingdom for that student. So just pause there and pay attention to that particular student and those conditions that were surrounding them. Just make a mental note, get to know their students better, and the more they do that, the more they do it, they'll recognize. You have to do it while you're sitting looking out the window because if you're not near the window, you don't think straight. You know, or whatever it is. So it doesn't take it, it every see, when you're dealing with spirit, it's not work. When you're dealing with spirit, it's fun. And when you're dealing with truth, it's always easy. Okay, so it's fun, easy, and doesn't cost anything. So that's what this is. This is not anything about this world. This is about bringing the spirit into the classroom and allowing them the spirit to then lead the teacher through their internal intuition of, of their knowingness to then process um, whatever the student needs so that they learn better and that they tap into their intuition and their right brain so that they're the problem solvers. Because I have, um, you know, in America right now, what do we have? We don't have the manufacturing. We, don't, we are not an industrial nation. There's one thing that we have. Do you know what it is, Philip? I uh, give up. We have innovation. Problem solving and innovation. Right. That's what we have in America. And so that's how we're going to survive, and that's what we need to do in our schools. And we always say we say we're doing that, but the way we're trying to prove that we're doing that, the way we're proving it is through the left brain, you know, linear testing that is squelching everything that's happening in the right brain. So the magic comes in of doing all those things that we have are required to do with this emphasis on paying attention to when the answer comes in and how it comes in. It's it makes everything much more simple and much more fun. I think your example about the Google guys playing ping pong and having fun and trying to release those ideas is a great is a great counterweight to that because because what what's happening there is that the playful spirit the openness the creativity is allowed to come out now now one of the things that 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 you've been talking about that i i think is extremely important putting this together a little bit at the end is that everybody seems like they have different conditions for this aha moment to be released Uh and it's the challenge of the teacher to discover what what unlocks that aha moment and and I think that is to me a true teacher because because it's not everything is gonna work for everybody like you said with the GPS system Different people may have different things that hit them over the head, different ways, whether it's visual, whether it's music, whether it's running in place or exercising or whatever. There's different things that that make that aha moment occur. 
and 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 I I see that folks that you know kids that maybe are, are perceived to be slow learners it could just be because the teachers haven't figured out what what puts the light on well an interesting note and I don't I should get this very specifics about this but if you google Montessorian uh, leaders I think it, anyway the, the Google and Microsoft and somebody else really really big they have a whole host of people that are like running the world right now, and they began in Montessori schools. Montessori schools are designed to deal with the intuition and designed to deal with the natural way of learning and designed to deal to foster what the person is doing naturally rather than imposing upon them. So the result is that these guys are now some of the biggest innovators in the world. So just as a note in terms of education and this higher level thinking skills and so on, that the proof is now in the pudding of, you know, America is leading the world through innovation and will continue to do so if we allow ourselves to, to problem solve. But it's very interesting to note the data that's coming in on, on the results of Montessori in education. Yeah, that, that's really, that is really interesting, and I think it, it means a lot for, for those who are trying to do the best for their children and trying to figure out, you know, how to make their their kids learn better or or more effectively and again as you say these are leaders it's not just about doing well on the standardized test which is something you talk about in your book it's 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 about really incorporating internalizing those lessons and and having these aha moments these I get it moments where learning becomes fun and we start moving to the innovation creative realm. Now, before we close, Janice, why don't you just tell the listener a little bit about some of the programs or seminars you offer and about how people could find out a little bit more about what you're doing. Thank you for that opportunity. Yes, um, JaniceFletcher.com is the easiest way to find out the most about me. There's uh, past radio interviews. There's a webinar going up today that I just completed that's free. It's just an hour-long webinar walking you through the whole, the whole process. The book, of course, can be bought um, on my website, JaniceFletcher.com, or you can buy it on Amazon or in, you know, an um, e-book or whatever. Um, and I do all sorts of trainings because I adapt the, the OWL message, which is, what, as I call it, to every, every, because it applies to everybody. So I've done, you know, business leaders. I've done wise decision making, problem solving, you know, with the corporations that want to do better problem solving or boundless creativity. You know, everybody's looking how to get into this, and it's, and it's not just a school, it's not just related to school. So I train on every kind of topic that there is. There's a, a number of training topics on my website, but I, whatever the topic is, I, can, I adapt it in there. In fact, it's impossible for me to leave it out. That's how uh, strongly this message is coming through me, that no matter when I speak or how I speak, it, will, it finds its way out. I used to be very known as being very inspirational, and that may be so now, I don't know. But what is happening now is the message of the owl is coming through me very strongly. So if you hire me to, do, to speak on anything, I can pretty much, you, you should know that this message will come through. And, and why don't you uh, summarize quickly the, the six steps as well at the end here? Because I think that's helpful. Six steps are, first, you desire something. You want to know something. There's an answer you're seeking. You look at it. You work on it. You forget frustrated, and you give up. And when you give up, you go to the second step, which is surrender. Once you surrender, that leads into your silencing of your mind, which is the third step. So once your mind is silenced and, the, and your left brain is shut down, then you go into the fourth step, which is listening to what the answer is, what the truth is, the wisdom that has come through. 
then the next step is to act on that wisdom. Take the, yes, buy this dress, buy that stock. And then the next, the final step is to then test it, to test out everything that's happened. And, and so that's great. And those, by the way, are the six steps to increase these aha moments, which we all want to have more in our life. Now, now every week on this show, we've been trying to push the envelope of understanding a little farther out there. We're trying to bring the big ideas down to earth and listen to some of the people who are looking at the world and all of its various facets in new ways. Now, over the past year, we've had guests spanning an incredible breadth of subjects from the state of anti-aging drugs with David Sipp to remote viewing. That was Russell Tark. We've heard the latest on quantum theory from people like Fred Allen Wolf and Diane Collins. We've talked about the multiverse with Bernard Carr, the real name of God, with Rabbi Dasik. We've talked about the God particle, dark matter, the biology of belief with Bruce Lipton, the avatars of consciousness, and we've gone all the way back to how scientists think the world began with Paul Steinhardt. Now, many of us believe that we're climbing this ladder of awareness, understanding our world better as we understand ourselves. By talking with people like Janice Fletcher, people on the leading edge of ideas, perhaps we can mark the spot on the ladder where we currently are. Now, what's at the top of the ladder? Well, I think at the top of the ladder is one big eureka moment, and that's, I think, where we're heading. And join us next week when our special guest will be world-renowned physicist Lee Smolin, author of the new book, Time Reborn, From the Crisis in Physics to the Future of the Universe. And this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. See you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 